The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. Today, our travels take us all the way overseas to the land of the United Kingdom. There we can find the one and only David Gaylord. David, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's nice to finally be on here and uh, catch up again as we uh, we meet up at LVO like we do every year, and it's good to be back here again. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to, to see some familiar 40K faces and, and meet up in person. For those of you who haven't had the pleasure of meeting David, not only is he an amazingly talented Warhammer player, but he's also just a great dude. David is the reigning champion over the Southampton Super Major. He actually has three Super Major titles, which is the most for any singular person from the United Kingdom. And he was fourth in the world last year in ITC. So not too shabby of a resume there. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You've absolutely crushed it with Astro Militaire in this past weekend, and I am here to unpack how. Today, we're going to talk about this episode in two parts. Part one, we're going to talk about David, let you all introduce yourselves to him, let him introduce himself to you, get to know him, how he plays 40K, how he got to be such an accomplished 40K player. And then in part two, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty. We're going to talk about Astro Militarum, the strategies he used, the list he used at the Southampton, how it works, how Astro Militarum's taken the world down by storm. That's going to be for subscribers on our Patreon. You can join at AOW40K.com. All right, everybody, we really appreciate your support. I'm going to let it all go to David now. David, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. I'm great. Obviously, I'm over the moon uh, yesterday and I, um, uh, after the weekend, and I also won the golden ticket to the Warhammer World Champs. So that'll be a really exciting event to play. And I believe it's November or something. So that'll yeah, be in your Atlanta. Home. That's not even too far from me. I'm, I'm going to be there commentating, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it'll be great. That's great. Well, congratulations again on your win. That's awesome, man. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's been uh, that tournament was a nice win, but it was a it was a there was a much greater personal accomplishment in the tournament uh, for me personally. And uh, we can get into that later. I won't spoil it. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm definitely going to unpack that. Let's talk about um, kind of you as a person, as a player, though. Like, how long have you been playing 40k? How'd you get into it? Yeah, so basically, I've been playing Warhammer since ninth edition started, more or less. And, uh, you know, originally, I'm from New Zealand, for people that don't know me. Um, and so I was playing Warhammer on my farm that I grew up in uh, with old, you know, metal models, like the old Carnifex, you know, with the talons out the front um, off eBay and playing on the ground bottle caps, you know, picking up rocks from the farm with, to make boards with my friend. <laughs> like, basically as humdiggity uh, of Warhammer as you could possibly do. And so that was when I was very young. And then you know, I, I, I didn't touch the game for a long time, and I played uh, competitive esports for a long, long time at a, at a very high level. And then when I moved back to the – when I moved to the U.K., uh, my best mate here now introduced me to the game after I pointed out a model on his desk uh, that was a Demon Prince. And I was like, what is that? He's like, oh, it's Warhammer. And I was like, dude, people still play that game? <laughs> And uh, he said, "Yeah, there's a big commit. There's a big competitive scene here." And I was like, my eyes just lit up when he said that. And I was like, "Okay, we got we got something to do here." And I've I've been hooked ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, you see that a lot with people. I like to ask them that question, right? Like, how do you get started in a Warhammer? Kind of get to know people. And a lot of people fall out of the hobby and kind of come back into it and decide to go very competitive with it. You actually yeah. had this esports background, though. I don't think I've actually heard someone come over from the esports side, aside from the late great Jeff Robinson. So, like, what is that for you? Yeah, you know, I think um, so. I th- I think this is very common in UK and and EU actually, and like I, I think. 
people would probably refer to me as one of the the newer age players. So esports background, uh, I play a lot on TTS, and the philosophy of practice and play is very different from probably some of the avant-garde players of Warhammer that have been exposed to a lot of the legacy elements of the game. Um, you know, for me, You're talking about me right now? No, well, <laughs> you define yourself as you do. <laughs> um, but you know, I think because the game has changed so much over sixth, seventh, eighth edition, um, different ways of playing, and you know, the largest change to the game has been Warhammer transforming from a um, game where information was shared on sub forums and kept within very tight knit teams to a game where information is readily available, like the amount of content that is produced now compared to two, even two years ago or even a year ago, I feel like doubles in size every single year. And that transition is very similar to a game I played, Magic the Gathering, where um, you know people knew what the strongest decks were, the, the strongest combinations. Net decking was very typical and not frowned upon. And we, we're just going through that change and have been through that change in the last year for Warhammer in my opinion. So I think for me, a lot of the concepts from just take Magic the Gathering, for example, translate over to, over to Warhammer really well, where I'm interested in knowing the best strategies, um, objectively coming to the conclusion about what the best combination of units and factions and combos to take, um, identifying broken parts of the game. Um, by that, I mean overpowered, for, uh, for example, and um, you know trying to practice not for the sake of playing and enjoying the game, but to practice to become the best player or or to become, you know, a player of greater understanding about what I'm trying to accomplish in the game. Um, in the long so run, much to unpack there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to cut you off. I'm just very excited to, to talk about it. So one of the things before I, uh, there's so many things here. The first thing I want to talk about is what you said about how 40k right now is kind of like where Magic the Gathering was a few years ago. I've heard a lot of people say that in regards to 40k in relation to esports in general. Like now, like yeah. you said, there's a lot more content streaming is becoming regular. There's certain individuals or groups out there just pumping out content, traveling week to week to tournaments to stream it and bring it live. Is this like what you think the steps are to make Warhammer a more mainstream game? Do you think we're just on the right track? I think we're. Genu- I genuinely think, and I've, I've myself and a few friends might have been undergoing some some rapid changes recently i genuinely think warhammer is on the precipice of becoming a, a much 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 larger game than it will than it has ever been or than people have really anticipated it to be um i was kind of on the precipice of that with dota and heroes of new earth and dota 2 i was like not semi-pro but i was in sponsor team then and i sort of saw the transition of that game turn into something that people can base their careers around and a lot of the similar elements in warhammer are now for me starting to appear and i wouldn't be surprised if the game grows you know twice you know the tournament attendance is twice as large in in two years time um especially over here in the uk it's you know a lot of exciting things to come you know we've got 10th edition coming out you know you know this is crazy two years ago if i told you that the top four players in the ITC are all content creators that you can go up to them, have a chat, pick their brains, and have access to their actual high-level gameplay thoughts. You, you would have probably laughed at me. And, and I, even three or four years ago, no one would have said that would have been true. But the amount of access of information that people have nowadays and people like yourself and your organization um, and other high-level players putting stuff out there really enables players to push and compete and become better. And you know, I think the quality of players on average is so much higher than what it used to be as well because of that information and competitive nature. 
And there are a lot of competitive tendencies in Warhammer that are becoming second nature for people that I think previously didn't maybe exist. And um, it's really pushing the game to a state of maturity where we're setting ourselves up for doing uh, bigger things. I really couldn't agree more. It doesn't feel, it feels like the average player is a lot better. And it feels like there's an understanding of culture when you go to tournaments about how the game should be played that really wasn't there. I mean, be three, four, even maybe two years ago, right before COVID. I think yeah. that's, uh, I think that's really positively shifted how the game is not only being played at the tournaments, um, but also being perceived by those kind of viewing it on the out- outskirts. And I'm really glad to see just like your outside perspective on it because I'm, I'm in total agreement. And uh, I'm really excited about it. I hope the future of Warhammer really does grow, obviously. But I think we are on the right trip as well. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, you're obviously a seasoned tournament competitor yourself. And I think that disillusion of tournaments being some place where you're going to get gotcha'd or you're going to have a bad player experience, that has been one of the big myths that I think the UK scene for sure has shaken recently, you know, over the last two years. You know, we've, we've had an amazing... Um, transformation in the UK where tournament scenes are, you know, places where people gather socially and have fun and come in with the expectation that all the games are played to a very high sporting level. And, you know, you're going to have fun, win or lose, you're going to have a great time because of the people that you're surrounded by. So we're extremely lucky to have that. And I hope that, you know, I'm, I know that's going to be the future for Warhammer, whether it's in the US, UK, Europe uh, going forward. But yeah. Good times ahead. I know the joke is the UK is six months ahead, but honestly, I think America's right there with you. I can't speak yeah. for every event, but generally speaking, when I do go to events, LVO, I went to uh, Wars in Atlanta a few months back, I had the same experience. It's really high-level, sporting, good-vibe tournament the entire way through. Yeah, yeah, and Las Vegas was a great example of that as well. You know, um, I know there was some contention around um, the Sean Nader and, and, and Soli game, but like that was a great display of sportsmanship as well. You know, two guys with a lot on the line, um, extending the hand to each other. And, um, you know, you see stuff like that all the time. It doesn't just happen at the top tables. It happens everywhere over Warhammer, which is what makes the game so great. You know, that's what keeps me in the game. The right. game it's it's the community. I mean, we always say that. Yeah, the community, you know, and, um, you know, I also find the game strategically very interesting, having played a lot of esports games that are quite similar. You know, I've played all the range from, Counter-Strike 1.5, 1.6, Source, CSGO. And then I've played other turn-based games competitively like Dota and whatnot like that. So I've played the spectrum of needing to be dexterously very fast versus having a strategic mindset. And Warhammer really is just, man, I'm getting old, but um, <laughs> Warhammer is a game where you can, you, you, know, you can apply your mind and you don't have to be you know, at your apex of reactions and whatnot. Right. The physical aspect is more an endurance test than like a reactive yeah, sporting one. Um, yeah, it's, and it's a mindset as well, yeah. Yeah. It does bring me to, to think the other thing I wanted to jump off of what you said earlier, is that you said you don't really view the game in a way to, in your sense, have fun with it. You're trying to view it in a sense of just getting better and more being the sharpest competitor you can be. You know, I, I totally appreciate that as one competitor to another. Like, I always try to learn from the, my games and all that. But I also approach it with, like, if I'm not having a good time, if I'm not having fun, what am I doing with it here? And I, I had personally, and I know a lot of competitors, too, have maybe blurred those lines, lost the plot, stopped having fun in favor for chasing wins or trying to optimize their list or their army or whatever it might be. Do yeah. you suffer from that at all? Do you struggle? Or like, how do you make that divide? Yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting you ask that because this is actually something I've struggled with a lot over my um, relationship with the game. Um, you know, initially I came in with that mindset of, um, you know, I, I, I 
I defined my relationship and enjoyment of the game through the lens of my tournament results. And, you know, I, I know you can relate to that. Every top competitor, every can, top player can relate to that, that 100%. Um, you know, and if I didn't win a tournament, you know, I was unhappy with Warhammer, which at the level that you play Warhammer at the top level, it is an inherently unhealthy relationship, as I think Anthony Vanilla has eloquently said. And to compete at the top levels, you ultimately have to have, for some duration of time, an unhealthy relationship with the game in a sense that it is all-consuming to a certain extent, right? I would and, say like a, maybe not unhealthy in the way where it's like a toxic relationship by definition, but I would say unhealthy and like it's an obsessive relationship. Exactly. Yeah, you're yeah. consumed by it. Yeah, it's difficult to you know hit the gym consistently. You know, um, be a, be a great partner, achieve great career goals, and be a top Warhammer player at the same time. Right? Just align your career with Warhammer. It's all I do. <laughs> exactly. So um, you know, for a long time, I was chasing those big wins and. Um, you know, I remember when I won my first major, I, mean, I remember when I won my first super major, of course, um, you know, things changed for me after I did that. And the, the most defining point of Warhammer for me was when I actually started the podcast with Vic VJ, who came second in the ITC last year, my, my very good friend. That's very and recent. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we started it uh, at the end of November last year or something. So 40k fireside podcast where Vic and I you know, uh, one of the two to the top four that, as I said, talk about the content and what like that. Um, we, uh, we, we have a podcast that we do every couple of weeks where we talk about the mirror and whatnot, but what that did was it really rapidly changed how I engaged with the game because not only did I have a positive outlet in the game through tournament and competitiveness, I had a really positive outlet of the game by sharing my experiences with others and, and giving back to the community and helping people and providing advice from a top level content. So it kind of became a thing that no matter what I was doing, I was winning in a certain sense, so I could never really be unhappy in that way. Yeah. Um, but, and I mean, you would know this as well. I mean, being you know content creator as well, you must have felt that same thing to an extent, right? Yeah, I mean, at, at some point, your relationship with the game really changes when you get into the content creation aspect because it's no longer you're playing for yourself and just the ability to prove to yourself how good you are, whatever it might be. You were you're playing almost with a higher purpose of trying to teach people and help the game grow and, you know, share this hobby with more and more people. So if that's kind of how you're viewing it now, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of even, um, so, so that was what, that would probably would, would be what I would say my midpoint in transition. But recently I've really adopted such a different philosophy of how I enjoy the game. Um, you know, I was really struck by Alexander Fennell at LVO recently um when alexander fennel knocked out my teammate vic um uh, at, at lvo and they had a excellent game um and alex just said look i've, I've got to get on my flight I, you know tomorrow or something right so the guy you know alex knocks out vic and then she's just like oh i'm just going to go home you know i and I, I was just like man there's something something there that i'm missing you know and what i realized is that i don't i no longer needed to prove myself as a player um, by winning tournaments and doing well and prove that I'm one of the one I can hang with the best of them because I've, I realized that I'd already achieved that to a certain degree. And actually the thing that mattered most to me in the game now was just playing to, to play well. And, you know, I said this going to the tournament um, uh, with my team, my new team. And I said, you know, win or lose, I'm just going to try and play my best. And if I play my best, then I can be really happy. And um, I, that's kind of what, 
Alexander Finnell um, gave off to me and then a lot of people have been supporting me, um, uh, you know, helping me develop um, as a player like that. So, you know, I just take it one game at a time, just enjoy the game for the game's sake and never take a victory as given, which is a lesson I learned uh, at LVO, that's for sure. I had a great game against Chase Chamberlain that taught me a huge lesson about overconfidence. And um, yeah, just if, enjoy every game of the moment. You know, you've got three hours there to have fun with your opponent. If you're playing well, then, you know, and you still lose, then as long as you can reflect on that and become even better, then, you know, that's even better, right? But um, I, just I really couldn't have said it better yeah. myself, David. Like, seriously, it sounds a little cheesy hearing it, like, right back to you, yeah. especially maybe in podcast form, but genuinely, like, it, it kind of sounds like you transcended the ego part to 40K, which exactly. is a lot of people get stuck there and, and yeah. potentially forever for years. Yeah. And look, I would say if you're listening to this right now and, um, and you're in a similar situation. And, you know, that was, this, it was literally me. I was like, man, you know, I got to win, you know, man, I got to win my first super major. Like I won't be respected until I win my first super major. I won't be good until I win, you know, this or that, you know, consistent five one player who's like, feels like they can't break that ceiling or even like a two three player who has been at it for years and just can't seem to get better. And this applies yeah, to everybody. Yeah. Like if you, here's, here's the thing though, is that here's what I realized is that actually when you change from that philosophy of, I must win the tournament to, I just need to play better. Like I, every game, I just need to play my best and play better and keep improving as a player. Winning will naturally come as a consequence of that process. And you will actually perform better than as if you were trying to chase the tournament win right from the get go, just in the moment, in the game, focusing on the game, playing well, reflecting you know, that, that process is so much more predictable and well-balanced. And that, that's really what we try to teach at Art of War, like in our war room and with my personal coaching that I've given clients. It's, you know, I don't try to just give them the, here's the winning list and here's the way to play the winning list. And now you go into the tournaments. It's, it's a process. It, 40K is a skill as a game. You can learn the skill over time, much like cooking. You know, you, I can give you a recipe. You're not going to be able to be Gordon Ramsay. So course, yeah. you, you learn. And through that process, if you don't look at it through the resultist lens of I need results right now, my goal is to go from three and two to four and one. That's just a metric. Like, if you go to every game, giving it your best shot, trying to do points projections and trying to really learn the tactics and trying to apply the knowledge that you were learning from game to game to game and watching all the content that David's saying is out there, then you will get better by definition and you'll feel a lot better with your relationship about the game too. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, for those people that are looking to get better, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people is a huge part of that so coming up as a player i was around team dice down and i was very fortunate to get picked up that team and brought into that family because it was the you know premier powerhouse of uk you know how many years has dice down come second to out of war right <laughs> so it's like basically <laughs> right. Yeah. right where you belong <laughs> exactly um so you know surrounding myself with players that were able to give me honest feedback not only about how I was um, doing in terms of sportsmanship, ability to play, technicalities, but about the wider tournament format, which players to think about, um, and then provide me that support structure around, hey, you know, you're in going to round six. Do you want to have a phone call? Like, just chat through your secondary or something like that. That's when you can really push yourself from, I think that's, for me, the biggest differentiator between someone who's consistently going X and one or maybe making the quarterfinals to someone who is a, um, not, a, I don't want to say this, but a, you know, for lack of better words, a serial winner, um, someone that will consistently win. 
is um, not only their game, but being surrounded by people that will enable them to keep growing as players. That's true. And that's why you, you typically do see winners consistently win because they they have found like their, their group of people who just bounce ideas off of them over and over and over again. It's like a niche they find. And the way you find this is not like some crowd or some some click that you're not a part of like if you go to tournaments and you make friends that's literally what we have all done in our process because yeah. we all sucked at 40k one point and yeah, for sure and you go to tournaments and you make friends and your friends might suck too you probably find people relatively in your skill range you get better together you talk about ideas and bounce ideas off each other with the with the goal of getting better every single game instead of the goal being go four and one and if the goal is to get better and your friends are aligned with the goal of getting better, you genuinely help each other get better. Look at all that. A couple of years down the road, it doesn't even have to be years. We had uh, Sam <laughs> Precipio. Just, he was like winning Super Majors after nine months of playing 40K. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm really glad you added that part about you know alignment of goals. Um, not everyone engages in the game to win tournaments. And um, you know, I think that's a really cool part about the game is that there's such a wide spectrum of interaction with the game got people that really love the hobbying side you've got people that really love the competitive side you know it's like bottle caps and professional painted right <laughs> um and then you've got all those people in between that um interact with the game but um you know finding yourself and finding yourself around common people that will relish in your success as well as their own um is uh, is really good you know you know in real life meeting people is one thing but you know you know it goes without saying that i think you know for lack of better words again you know, quote, my generation of um, players, unquote, um, you know, tabletop simulator being the absolutely defining theme between um, people or um, avant, you know, new players that have come up and done really well really quickly. You know, the benefit of that program um, is that you can play a lot of games really quick and you can be in a, it's very easy to find a community of players and bounce ideas off in one another. You know, you've got Discord channels and everything like that. You know, the Outer World Discord channel, I'm assuming, and and everything, right? Where you can slot in, find games, and um, meet people really quickly and, and, and progress as a player. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to transition this talk, although it's been great, a little bit more to like you as a player and how you've kind of grown uh, within the sphere of 40K. So mm-hmm. I've known you, David, for a few years now, and you've always been killing people with Tyranids. And <laughs> you even started out as a Tyranid lover, like way back in the day. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So I, I seem to recall this episode being about Astra Militarum, and they they shoot Tyranids, from what I can tell. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why? Why not? I guess why the sudden switch? But what has the transition in playstyle and your approach to the game been with all that? Yeah. So I think um, you know initially when I started out playing, I wanted to play. You know, I made a decision very early on I, to compete. Uh, and do well. I wanted to play what I thought was the strongest army, you know. And I played LVO two years ago, top eight. Played against uh, the lovely Alexander McDougal, uh, playing GSC on that match there. And I was playing Crusher Stampede. Uh, and then you know, Turner Book came out after that, so I stayed with them because they were obviously really good. Um, but what I've what I've done is, you know, it's no surprise that I've stuck with armies that were going to perform well. So after Turnids, I played um, Thousand Sons and Demons, uh, and then uh, recently. You know, after that meta, which was basically LVO, Southampton being more or less the first tournament in the UK, uh, you know, I'm playing Astra Militarum. So for me, I don't really have any kind of lore or allegiance to a particular army or I've never been, you know, oh, I really love this. I would never play that kind of person. For me, it's always like, how does this army perform? Does it have the depth that I as a player could work out 
um, to to become uh, you know someone who could really win with it over and over again. And Astrum Elitarum, I thought was was a good example of that. Yeah. So it's all just about like raw potential, almost like computer science, like which army will give you the best chance at winning, um, irrespective of the lore, your personal appeals to the army, or even like your approach to using it on the table. Is that fair yeah, to say? Exactly. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually a, a senior data scientist as well. So it's, it's funny yeah, that so you, you are a robot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that, that might make some people cringe, right? You know, they might go, um, that philosophy of our meta chaser or something like that. But, um, um, you know, there's, that's where the reality of being a competitive player kind of comes home. And I think the beauty of what I said is that I just, I enjoy the game for the game's sake. I don't necessarily only get enjoyment out of the game because of hobbying. We could be playing with bottle caps and I would still love the game just because of the way that the game is designed and, and, and the way that it um, flows is, you know, it's a beautiful game to play. Um, and, you know, I kind of have dipped in and out of competitive esports games, but this one is just um, consistently kept me interested. So I think that's a, that's a really high bar. As someone who's played 40K for going on 20 years this year, I can really appreciate your love for the actual gameplay here. And honestly, like I view 40K very similarly. Like I, I, maybe not I have my personal factions that I like. I, I don't really mess with Astro Military. I'm actually as ironic as that is here. Um, but, you know, largely speaking, I played every single faction over time and I get it. Um, and I'm not here to judge people. No, no one in this audience is. Everyone can enjoy 40K their own way. You want to play super competitive? Totally fine. Some people want to just paint the models, whatever. Yeah. When I, what I find interesting though about you is like, I have like a play style. I'll, I'll even call it out right here. I like to play defensive, reactive, pretty janky, quick stuff. I don't do great when I am given a bowling ball to just run straight at people. I'll try to overcomplicate it because that's just my nature. Yeah. In your case, do you have your data science background, your fairly competitive esports background? Does, does any of that lead you in some specific way of wanting to play Warhammer? And then do you struggle not to play that way? Yeah, so I think... Um... You know, playstyle is definitely a divisive term, I think. And I think some people would argue that playstyle is not a thing. But I think, you know, when you, the, when the reality comes to it, so, you know, you as a player, everyone knows that they shine or perform better in certain situations. So I think playstyle is a thing. But what I particularly lean on is I, I like to discover objective truths about the game. So I am someone historically in the previous season that grinds a lot of reps and... When I talk about a lot of reps, I mean, guys, like, I was, I think I was over 60 and 0 in practice games in my internal team with Leviathan Turnids at one point, and I was 39 and 0, um, and back to back across like four tournaments with Leviathan Turnids last year. Um, I discovered so many objective truths about how to play the game through sheer grind that playstyle for me didn't become a thing. And that as a player is something that I lean on a lot because I don't think I'm necessarily a very good intuitive player at the game as perhaps that might sound bizarre, but things that players see in the game, I don't necessarily pick up as quick as other players and for better or for worse, that's just how I've, how I need to understand the game. So I like to understand the game through raw logic about this is, you know, these scenarios, these deployments, these armies, this is the most objective way to play. And that's kind of how I surround myself with a impenetrable like wall of logic about, okay, this is right. And, you know, it's a very hard process to go through because you need to be surrounded by the right people that are at your level that will contribute to that wall of logic as well. Can you give me some examples of what you would classify as an objective truth about 40K? Is it like movement, you know, like movement, a new six, or is it more? 
intangible. So here's a very good example. Yeah. When I play Leviathan Tyranids, if I played two bricks of nine warriors, now against Hail of Doom, I would never show, and against most shooting armies, I would never show one more than two bricks of more than one brick of warriors. That was the objective truth I came to. So you never ever break the golden rule of showing two bricks of warriors where one is buffed and one is unbuffed. Even if you split the buffs, you never do it. So that's that's a rule that I, I stuck by for a long time. Uh, you know, Astra Militarum, I have some rules there where it's um, you know, where it's like I you, you can redeploy three units. So I always have a rule about how I deploy. So I'll always have two forward deploys, one that can go back into strat reserve. So if I go second, I redeploy one into strat reserve and two back. Or if I go first, I put three forward and have five on the line. So rules like that where it, it just simplifies the game. If you spend 10, 15 minutes to think about it and map it out, you just go, these are the rules. Like, And when you, you know, there are nuances when you play the very, very toughest of games, but those rules you have to rely on be like, okay, that's just the best way to do it. Or, you know, deployment is a huge one where you can come to, you know, very, very, very concrete ideas about how you should deploy for the most part. And that saves you a lot of time and second guessing that um, ultimately is going to breed a better result over the long term, I think. Yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. And you're using kind of objective truths here as like a way to simplify experiential learning over tons of data. Like, you know, you get tons of reps, you understand, okay, this is how the warriors go. This is deployment is muscle memory now. Yeah, yeah exactly. I wouldn't describe either of those as necessarily play styles. And like you said, some people may hypothesize it doesn't even exist, but what does absolutely exist is a personal's is a person's personal preferences, right? So like right. would you consider yourself a more aggressive player or a more defensive player is a great way to simplify oh, right. it down. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I, look, if anything, last year got me the reputation as probably the one of the most aggressive players in the UK. I think. Yeah, I mean, with Leviathan, I was, um, I was, I was extremely aggressive. Uh, but you know, it was measured, of course. You know, um, you know, you can't. Let yeah, not ruthless, happen. brainless aggression. You know, it's no, it's a type. Mm. Contrary to some opinions. <laughs> um, but um, you know, but with T Suns and Flamers, you it was an extremely defensive playstyle. You know, I it took me a long time to learn that I just need to build my castle, and as no one as long as no one can break my castle, then you know I'm I sit back here, you know, and and never leave an opening, and then it should be locked out. And that's actually very similar to Astra Militarum, I think, in a lot of ways, is that you build your you build your list and you build your um, you know strategies around denying people the opportunity to to come and bully you and come and mess up your kind of your castle. And then as long as you could properly activate your units after that, then you should be in the driver's seat for the most part. So the way you build your Crusher Stampede list is obviously super built different to how you build your Thousand Suns list. And yeah. both are kind of, I don't want to say obvious in a sense, but the application of loss of monstrous creatures is fairly straightforward, whereas yeah. Thousand Suns, definitely not an obvious army. You know, they're the opposite. They try. They have a million options, and it's, about, it's on you to figure out how to put them together. So... Yeah. The learning curve to those two armies is not only different in elevation, like one is steeper than the other, it's also in different directions. So how do you process that? Like, what is the approach for, okay, I'm, I'm going to meta hop to what I perceive is the best army in the game right now, and I'm going to learn it, although I don't even know where to start because it's a totally different skill set from the last thing I was just playing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, it's not, uh, it's not, there's no one complete answer, and I, and I totally get what you're saying now is that. And, uh, you know, and it took me a long time to, um, when I was playing T-Suns and Flamers, not to pull the pin, if you know what I mean. Like, 
not to, you know, not to all in someone turn one if I've got an opening, right? Like, okay, don't do that. Yeah. For an aggressive player, I think if you're if I'm playing aggressive T Suns, I'm taking the Umberlific Crystal and Cult of Duplicity. I'm teleporting twenty Terminators in your face turn one, seeing what you do about it. And obviously that isn't even the strategy with T Suns. Yeah, well, yeah, some games it is. <laughs> fair <laughs> but, enough, uh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, you teleport the two characters in the Terminators something some games, but um like you know, I'm I'm very good at trading and understanding like you know this needs to line up against that, etc. But um, you know the, the the truth is is that it's not optimal for most players to to enjoy to play and compete like I would or like another top player would because you do there's no shortcut to learning how to play an army that has a completely different play style. There's some things you can do. So one thing I'd recommend is finding someone who has a lot of experience on that army. So T Suns and Flamers, there was a guy called uh, Jean Michael Jean. Uh, or Liam VSL, as he's known online, uh, very good Team Belgium WTC player. Uh, and I thought, what is the army I want to bring to Las Vegas? And I contacted Liam and said, you know what, um, you know, tip, run me through the list. Can I get a game against you? And then, you know, bounced ideas off him. So, you know, what's the saying? It's, um, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, I could see further. And that's the, that's the quickest way to bootstrap uh, your players to learn off other people. Yeah, I think learning <laughs> off of other people is really, I mean, that's how you bounce ideas off each other. If it's just one person, you're never going to go anywhere with it. And that's a yeah. huge accelerant to getting better. Do you, yeah. do you find, though, like you keep referencing this, like uh, this really strong core group of people, which is exactly what all the other top players have as you get better. Do you find that you suffer a little bit from groupthink? Like maybe you guys just missed an idea about a matchup or you're theoretically wrong about which army was best in the the metagame and you overtech for something or do you think you have a good foundation to get around that? Yeah. You know, man, this is such a good point. Um, this is a transition. I think any top player makes, and that is shifting from, you know, relying on your friends and people that are better than you to make your decisions for you. And then becoming a player that owns your own decisions. And that it sounds bizarre, but that's happened to me. Um, when I was kind of early on, I, you know, I was surrounded when I, when I initially joined my, my, uh, my, my former team, team dice down, you know, there was some situation where I was like, should I do this? Should I do that? And they were like, no, definitely do this. And back in my head, I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I should, shouldn't do that. And I and ended up losing some pretty crucial games because of that. Um, and I realized that whilst being in a team is for the most part, extremely beneficial, it can become a bit of an echo chamber. Um, so you have to be confident enough to go on your own and say, this is actually the right way. To, to do it so you can't you know you can't play vicariously through other players all the time you need to be able to define um define what you think is good for yourself yeah i think that's that's finding your own voice is a good way to put it but yeah being yeah. able to be confident in your own ideas i think is a huge part to actually getting better at this game as well yeah it's like for example you know at this point you know meta chase this meta chase that or you know i realized like well like if I think think something's going, if I think something's really good, I can go to a tournament and win with it. Like I will be the meta, you know. It's like the meta is out there somewhere, but you can also define the, what the meta is by performing well with something as well. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. So bringing it up back to the guard here, the meta is wide open right now. Arcs of Omen is is wild. There's like if you look at the results from Meta Mondays and stuff on Reddit, top eights are eight different factions sometimes. What's winning? Yes. <laughs> is, is orcs are winning tournaments in America. Dark angels are winning tournaments. Custodies are winning tournaments. 
astronaut terms, not putting up the wins that we expect them to, but yeah. obviously, David, you've proven that wrong. Um, and GSC are supposedly the best army in the game. So how did we land on Astro Militarum? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, yeah. Actually, it was probably in Vegas where, because after Las Vegas, I was deciding, you know, what army I'm going to try and not buy into, but invest enough time to learn that will be, that will have longevity to it where I can perform well. And it was actually probably a couple of out of water guys that were like, yeah, God is like super strong. Like Anthony was like, Oh God is like so good. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well it seems pretty consistently that people are saying like, okay, God is good. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll invest in that. But, um, you know, I've been through a real list building process with God. Like, you know, I really like to start with just kind of the most data sheets and bully people with strong data sheets and, and identifying strong data sheets in the, in the book and then starting with that. So like my first lists were like, you know, Lehman Russ, seven Lehman Russes, you know, and three by three mortars and, you know, 10 Cassigans, the key and 2000 like divided that. by guns. Yeah, yeah. Just like super one dimensional. And, and, and what a man, I was just about to not play guard in all honesty as well, because there are some serious flaws in the book. Like the faction is, has some very, very clear weak points, but the book at the same time is very deep. There are a lot of options and the options that are available are not necessarily fully apparent until you play a lot with them and explore them. So it's been a real list building journey for me, starting all the way from seven Russes going down to all the way down to two Russes, um, you know, 60 troop up to hundred troop back up to, you know, back down to 40 troop and stuff. And eventually just through pure experimentation and wanting to create a list that is well-rounded, uh, which is something that I just try and do with all my lists is be, have a well-rounded list that has no clear weak points um, I, you know, eventually I landed on the list that I, I, uh, I won with it at Southampton. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. The new Astro Militarum Codex, I've only been on the receiving end of it twice, been absolutely tabled by Kazakhans and Lehman Russes, and it's been brutal. I don't <laughs> know where the weak points are. I'm eager to find out. I'm super excited to see what your list is. If it's not just 2000 points divided by guns <laughs> in part two, we're going to go through your list and how it all works. But why don't you leave it off with what you actually took to this turn to get first place? Yeah, so I was playing Astro Militarum, Born Soldiers. I was playing uh, Lord Solar Leontis. I was playing Death Corps of Krieg Marshall, the 35 point character. I had Grand Stratagem, so five up, uh, gain a CP. The KDA Command Squad with the Finial, Warlord Trade for Redeploy, and the Ogre Bodyguard with a two up save. I had one Tank Commander with Executioner Plasma Cannon and two Plasma Sponsons and the Laz Cannon. I had four units of 10 KDA Shock Troop, one Melter, and one uh, Plasma Gun and a drum-fed shotgun on the uh, sergeant. And I had three units of Kassigan, all with uh, very nuanced out loadouts, but one had ignore heavy penalty, lots of volley guns, and the Barbican's key. Uh, three by three mortars. Then I had uh, two Lehman Russes, with, one with the same loadout as a tank commander, and one with no specifically no sponsons. And Plasma had three by three mortars, and then one Chimera. And that's uh, that managed to get me uh, all the way to the end. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, aside from the obviously insane 30 Kazakhan, it looks like a pretty balanced, well-rounded guard list with oh, nothing no, to assuming going on. I'm I'm really curious how this has unlocked the key, what the tactics are, what those nuances between those Kazakhan units and, and those tech pot plasma sponsors on the Russ are. These are the things we're going to unpack in part two. For patrons joining us, you can actually find the whole episode on aw40k.com that's we're going to break down the strategy the tactics all the good stuff we'll see you over there your support means the world to us we can't produce the show without you and we'll catch you there
But wait, before I forget, David actually has his own podcast, The Fireside. I've been listening to it. Him and Vic do an amazing job. Dave, you want to talk about that really quick? Yeah, well, the 40K Fireside podcast, uh, hosted by Vic and myself, the two top ITC competitors. And if you listen to that, you'll know that I also have two units of three armored Sentinels and one Scout Sentinel on my list. <laughs> but uh, you can catch us there. But uh, we'll run through the list, uh, you know, in its depths and complexities in the next part. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me, David. It's been a blast. I'm super excited to go through it. Listeners, we'll catch you all in part two. Join us on AOW40K.com while David walks us through how he shot everybody with Astro Militaire. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com <laughs>